0: slightly novel situation today, you've got got an option between two talks, okay, so um, you've got this one's like the easy one, Um, it's going to be a bit more fun, but it's not that challenging at all, or you've got this one, this one's probably a little bit less comfortable to hear, Um, and it's based on some verses from, from this book, the Bible, that I've found really, really challenging, Inspiring and motivating at the same time. So um, so who's going to vote for number one? <laughs> who's going to vote for number two? Okay. Good choice. Um, but just to be clear, you did actually ask for this, okay? So um the stuff that we're going to look at to, um, this morning, um, I would say, is, is, is mostly aimed at people who, who would call themselves followers of Jesus, or people who'd call themselves Christians. If you're somebody here this morning, and you are kind of exploring faith, you're, you're figuring out what you believe, um, uh, it's brilliant that you are here, um, but what I'm not suggesting is that the stuff that I'm going to say is stuff that you are expected to do, um, because it's not a decision that you've made. Um, but what I do hope is that you get a glimpse... Of the cause that you are invited to be part of. For those of us who who would call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus, um, I think some of the stuff that we're going to look at is, is is quite quite challenging. And I want to be really really clear and upfront about the fact that I personally find this stuff challenging. I, I find this area tough. It's an area where I feel I'm still very much like making baby steps. Um, and so. That all serves as a bit of a disclaimer. You're probably thinking, what is he gonna start talking about? I'm a bit worried. Hopefully, it won't be as bad as all that. And uh, and that kind of um, leads me to a question. Have you ever had that experience where something isn't as bad as you thought it was gonna be? Like, have you ever been to the dentist and and you're prepared for fillings and tooth extractions and they just give you a quick polish and send you on your way, you're like, awesome. Or have you had your car going for its MOT and you're sweating all day until they ring you in the afternoon. They're like, all done, mate, 50 quid, come and pick it up. You're like, got off lightly, awesome. Well, I've been feeling that way a little bit recently. As I've been reading the Bible, there's something that's kind of struck me as a little bit like that. It almost seems a bit puzzling, Um, doesn't quite add up. One of the things that seems overwhelmingly clear in the New Testament from the, from the words of Jesus to the, to the letters of Paul and, and, and other New Testament writers, one of the themes that seems to be really clear is that the, the church, the followers of Jesus, are to expect a life that's tough, a life with a huge amount of suffering, persecution, and hardship, that we're to expect this. Um, just a few examples, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 says, we're afflicted in every way, not, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Or another example, John chapter 16 verse 33 starts, in this world you will have tribulation. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 says, for it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I could go on. Um, you can see, hopefully, that I'm not sort of referring to an isolated verse here, but what's really a consistent theme throughout the New Testament. And, and I know that there will be many people in this room who are currently experiencing hardship or suffering, Um, You may personally be in the midst of of painful circumstances or or recovering from them. Um, We live in a city, as we've just seen, with with street pastors um, and a country that's got lots of problems. And most probably all of us will have something or other at the moment that's stressing us out. And I don't want to belittle any of that, especially if that's your experience at the moment. But, But what I think it is fair to say is that in general, in Nottingham, In 2015, we live in a time and a place of quite incredible freedom, abundance, and peace. We're free to meet here today, for example, with no real fear of persecution. Many of us live in in what could be described as relative abundance. We've got cupboards with food back at home, and, and a home that's dry and warm and has water and electricity and things like that. And in general, Nottingham, apart from certain sort of like streets at certain times of night, it's a pretty peaceful place. So why is it that the New Testament suggests that we as Christians are going to have this difficult, persecuted lifestyle, whilst the lifestyle of a of a Christian in the UK often looks pretty comfortable, and often pretty much the same as as everybody else. And um, maybe if you're one of these people who are here today exploring Christianity, perhaps that's one of the things that's appealing about the Christian faith, that lifestyle-wise, it doesn't seem to require too much change of us. So what's gone on? Was it that when they wrote this, people like Jesus and Paul, were they just being a bit pessimistic about things, or, or were they hamming it up so that we'd take them seriously? Were they talking about a persecution that's yet to come, or has already happened, or did they just get it wrong? Well, I'm not going to try and answer all those questions in detail, but what I can say is I think the whole situation makes a little bit more sense when we take a step back and look at the church and the globe as a whole. If we take a step back, we can see that globally the church is in a battle against persecution. Um, it's, it's being persecuted in a way that we've never seen before. Um, more people have, have, have have died for their faith in Jesus in the last hundred years than the rest of history put together. Persecution is on the increase in Africa and Asia. Um, In North Korea, followers of Jesus um, are considered an enemy of the communist state. Thousands of of Christians are currently in prison camps. There's an estimated 300,000 secret believers who face arrest, disappearance, torture, or, or even public execution if they're discovered. In Syria, since the start of the Civil War there in 2011, 700,000 Christians have had to have been forced out of the country. The church, if we take a step back, we can see is being persecuted just as Jesus told us it would. If we take another step back, we can see that the church is in a battle to fight poverty around the globe. Around just under half the world's population live on less than two and a half dollars a day. That's one pound sixty. A billion children worldwide live in poverty. That's kind of like something like this group of people times two million. That's how many people we're talking about. Take another step back and we can see that the church is it clicking a lot, is it? I couldn't quite tell. Thanks. Just turn this one off. If we take another step back, we can see that the church is in a battle to defend justice around the world. Millions of people are currently displaced or live in danger because of wars or conflicts that are going on around the world. And and we were reminded recently um, by Lisa Samuelson, who came to speak here, Um, you can hear her talk on on the website if you'd like, um, that that there's never been more slaves on the planet than there currently are today, around 20 to 30 million people working in forced labour at the moment. And she asked us a really challenging question. Are we going to be a generation that allows that to happen on our watch? UNICEF estimates that um, trafficking of children is, is on the rise and currently around 1.2 million children a year. Now, I know this is pretty heavy stuff. When we take these steps back, though, I think it, it points to symptoms of a situation that the bible actually makes clear that we live in the midst of a war a war between the kingdom of god and the kingdom of the devil a war in which um a fatal blow has been struck two thousand years ago by jesus on the cross so a war of which the outcome has been decided but a war where there are still battles to be fought battles of of justice battles of faith spiritual battles and although here in Nottingham in 2015, we live to a certain extent in a slightly sheltered bubble, we are very much part of that war. Now, if I was to stop here this morning, then we, we would probably all feel a little bit guilty about getting in our cars and driving home or going off to the supermarket or whatever we'd planned for today. But, but it's not my job to make anybody feel guilty today. And what I'd much rather do is look together at some words from the Bible that I've been focused on recently that rather than fill me with any sense of guilt about these issues has actually challenged me and inspired me. I'd say these verses that we're going to look at, they're not the most comfortable to read and they're definitely not the most convenient, but they're true and they're useful. Um, And it's from um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, just find it here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1, says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus, and what you've heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, this is a message worth passing on. It continues, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. In other words, Timothy, Paul was saying, you're a soldier and soldiers need to keep their head in the game. You know, for example, you'd never hear a soldier saying, oh, that week is not a good week for me to go to war. Um, I've got a lot of stuff going on at the moment. Can we reschedule? That, that's not what soldiers say, is it? Or when a soldier receives an order from his superior, he doesn't say, oh, that is an interesting option for me I just need to check that that sits right with me at the moment and I'll definitely consider it no he just does what his senior officer tells him to do that's a soldier's role now these words that we've just looked at were written by um, the early church leader Paul Um, and he wrote this letter to his young friend Timothy who was who was based in the church in Ephesus and my bible guide describes the letter of 2 Timothy as a bold, clear call for perseverance in the gospel in spite of suffering. As we understand it, Paul um, wrote this letter from Rome when he was facing execution. And I think maybe it was as he looked around at the soldiers who were guarding him as they came and went and the chain of command and, and all that. And, and, and he, he thought, yeah, that is a great way of describing this, the image of a soldier. And he wrote this letter to Timothy. There's a war on, by the way. Um, and you're in you're in the army, so so focus. And I believe that that message is the same for us today as it was back then. There is currently a war on. It may not feel like it in in Beeston or West Bridgeford or Mapley or Arnold or I can tell you it doesn't even feel like it in Stapleford. You might be surprised to hear that. But there actually is a war on. And this verse is Are for us in 2015 a reminder not to be distracted by the trappings of our Western privilege, but to keep our eye on the game. Because Jesus, the enlister, is calling us onward to fight battles for Him. These battles, these global battles, are our battles too, to defend victims of poverty and injustice and persecution around the world, and especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and this is hopefully where today we're going to sort of turn a bit of a corner into something that you'll find a bit more encouraging, because this soldier image implies, doesn't it, that, that we're in an army, that we're in this together. And I think that's that's very much true here at this church, Trent Vineyard. We're, we're really privileged to be part of a church community that, that does engage with these big issues in a meaningful way. A church that gives generously and sacrificially to support those in need around the world. Um, A a church that supports our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church up in prayer um, and we act to stand alongside them. We've got um, the Mado Network, who look, a group of people who look to make a difference in places overseas. We've got um, that connection with Cat and Mary in India. Um, last year, we were able to support the vicar of Baghdad and his church in Iraq. And And I think it's fair to say that in the vineyard, we have a heart for the last, the lost, and the least that finds its way into every ministry we do. And I think we can really take encouragement from that as a church family. But of course, this letter was also written by an individual to an individual. And I think this challenge applies not only to us as a church family, but also to us as individuals to ask difficult questions of ourselves like these ones. How do I reconcile my comfy life with the troubles that others are facing around the world? How do I carry on my life here knowing that it's all going on over there? As a Christian, how much wealth is it okay for me to have when others have so little? How much time should I be spending praying for those that don't enjoy the liberty that I have? And, and you know, when I think, like, was writing those questions, the first thing, my instinct, is to look around to how is everybody else answering those questions? Like, whatever, what is everybody else doing? Because if I can sort of gauge that, then maybe I can figure out, the right answer for myself. But the truth is that one day I'm going to stand before Jesus to give an account of myself and the decisions that I made, not what everybody else was doing around me. So this is the point where you're probably thinking, I wish we'd have opted for sermon number one, isn't it? That would have been a bit easier. Um, but those kind of questions, they, they kind of leave me with a bit of a feeling that that maybe I should be doing more. And if I ponder on them for too long, I end up feeling guilty. And the one thing, or one of the things that I love about these verses that we're looking at is that as much as these verses encourage and urge us to act, the first thing they do is draw us not towards guilt, but towards the grace of God. Verse one says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So, you know, if you've begun to feel a little bit challenged this morning, um, and if, if that even starts to feel a little bit guilty, re- remember that, you know, this, that's not what where this verse takes us. And guilt is not helpful in this situation, it's not a good place to start, and it's not from God. Um, so before we even consider rushing into this battle um, to try and save the world, this verse is a reminder, we must first remind ourselves how we were saved not by our own efforts, but by the grace of Jesus. And it's this same grace that then we're told strengthens us to embrace a soldier's lifestyle. So if we wanted to do that, if we wanted to embrace a soldier lifestyle, what would we do? Well, we could start by asking, what do soldiers do? And um, something that's going to become profoundly obvious over the next few minutes is that I don't really have a military background. You might be... All right, I wasn't expecting so much laughter at that point. Um, I was in the Scouts, um, so I got me me hat. Oh, no, the Cubs. There you go. Nice. And I was also, there you go, just wanted to highlight, pretty well-decorated as well in the Cubs. Um, But no, I was never in the military, and... To be honest, I've never been in a battle. The, the, the sort of last time I had anything that was anything like a fight, I was 12 and I lost. Um, so not a huge amount of experience. But I think I've seen enough on telly to figure out that soldiers serve. You know, when you talk to military folk about their work, they tend to say, don't they, that not that they worked in the army, but that they served in the army. I served in the armed forces. And, and that's true. The armed forces exist to serve to protect, to fight on the behalf of others. It's something that we recognise and we honour about them. And of course, when soldiers and armies make the ultimate sacrifice of, of laying themselves down for the sake of others, we see that as their finest hour. And during the Second World War, Winston Churchill was preparing um, a speech for Parliament where he famously talked about the RAF during the Battle of Britain. And the battle was going on at that time, I think, And apparently he was practicing, um, and he got to the words where he said, never in the history of mankind have so many owed so much to so few. And one of his generals interrupted him at that point and asked him, well, what about Jesus and the disciples? And apparently Churchill immediately changed it to, never in the field of human conflict have so many owed so much to so few. And I think that little story illustrates the armed forces, whether they're military or spiritual, they fulfill their purpose when they serve others, and it's their finest hour when they lay themselves down for others. And this, of course, is something that Jesus taught us. Um, it's an area of our faith where Jesus, our commander-in-chief, he led by example. He, he modeled what servanthood was to us by coming here, serving us, living us for us, putting us first, um, and ultimately laying his life down on the cross for us and choosing to fo- be a follower of Jesus means choosing that same life of sacrifice when and when our flesh sort of fights against that when we wake up in the morning and the first questions to come to our heads are things like you know have i got enough money for the things that i need have i got enough time for the stuff that i want to do this lifestyle is about stopping to consider well where is my heart at Who ultimately am I looking to serve? Is it me or Jesus? Because if our heart is dedicated to serving Jesus, then what these verses from Timothy tell us is that he comes and he fills that heart. He strengthens us with his grace. He fills our heart with love. And that's when we're ready to go out to battle. But without that, if we try and fight these battles sort of in our own steam or just out of guilt or whatever else. Um, There's a really interesting verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, that says, if I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So I think the first battle is fought without so much as lifting a finger because it's a battle of the heart. It's about making and reaching a decision that we can make right now in this moment, if you want to, that we want to make wake up each morning and dedicate our heart to serving Jesus. And if that's a decision that you feel you can make, then you're through the boot camp. You're ready to go on to the next phase of the battle. Um, sort of which leads on to the a second aspect of a soldier lifestyle um, that I wanted to focus on, and that is solidarity. Again, I'm I'm not a military expert okay um, but I think everybody knows that soldiers have to show solidarity don't they you know they're in the same fight they have to fight together and I think that's something that this passage points us towards in verse 3 where it says share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus now a picture that you might find really helpful with this one of the pictures that the Bible uses to describe the church as a whole um, is a body um, in other words, it describes the church as a body, so we in Trent Yard are part of the same body of, of the church that's being persecuted in places like Somalia and North Korea and Iraq. And the Bible explains that when one part of the body feels pain, if the body's working properly, the rest of the body shares in that pain. And this is an experience that most of us are aware of. Um, if you've got a human body, which everyone does, if you've ever... Like, stubbed your toe or, um, or banged your thumb with a hammer, or, or you've done that thing where you bite down into your gum. It's so, in that moment, it isn't just that part of the body that's affected, is it? Your whole body shares in that experience. Your eyes water and your fists clench and your mouth reaches for some kind of appropriate word to express your extreme discomfort. Incidentally, I love, the, um, I love the words that Christians use in those moments, you know, like when they're like, oh, shabba, or um, Paul Lowe's my favourite. He always goes, oh, your sausage, whenever... <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> yeah. But the truth is, um, the things that are going on in the body of Christ, in other parts of the body of Christ at the moment, they're more than stubbed toes or banged thumbs. They're gaping wounds. And the problem for us, or many of us, I guess, is that our Western lifestyle of consumerism and all the rest of it, and the comfort that we have around us, it numbs us to that pain. It's like ibuprofen or paracetamol. I'm just gonna watch a quick clip um, to highlight some of the stuff that's going on around the world.
1: Today, Open Doors works with the persecuted church around the world. This is the world. This is the World Watch Guide, which lists the 50 countries where faith costs the most. This is number 37. This is number 16. This is number five. And this is number one. This is North Korea. This is the most difficult place in the world to be a Christian. Churches are banned. Anyone found with a Bible is sent to a labor camp. This is a North Korean Bible this is a north korean labor camp this is a north korean official denying the existence of labor camps and this is what a prisoner drew showing life inside these labor camps so what's it like to follow jesus in north korea it's like this
0: This is not a film about strangers.
1: This is not a film about other people. This is not even a film about North Korea. This is a film about our family. And of course,
0: these are the people who we are called to show solidarity with. Finally, the um, the third aspect of a soldier lifestyle that I wanted to highlight, and this is a way that we can start to get a bit practical with this, is is simplicity. Um, If you think about it, soldiers, they have to embrace a simple lifestyle as part of their job, don't they? They they deny themselves luxuries to engage with stuff like, um, you know, they have to live in tents while they're on battle, they have to eat canteen food, they all have to wear the same clothes for some military reason that I don't fully understand. And verse 4 of this passage kind of gives us a bit of insight into that. It says, No, sang- no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, when, when you read that, I don't know about you, but you might ask, well, what's, that little, what's all that about avoiding civilian pursuits? What does that mean? Does that mean that I have to sort of like cancel my gym membership or, or give up knitting or, or whatever I enjoy doing as a hobby? And, and, and from the books and the guides that I've read, Um, That's not the case. What this verse is not saying is that somehow every kind of secular activity, hobby, or pastime is now suddenly sinful. Um, But what it is saying um, is that in the midst of a war, um, our personal comfort and our personal affairs and our personal interests, they can't be our main priority, and they can't get to the point where they distract us or numb us to the cause that we're fighting for. Um, the theologian um, John Stott, he's a little bit more articulate than I am and he says the same thing like this he says so what is forbidden the good soldier of Jesus Christ is not all secular activities but rather entanglements which though they may be perfectly innocent in themselves may hinder him from fighting Christ's battles so just as a soldier needs to embrace a simple lifestyle to fight a battle we do too I think for two reasons, because simplicity it is encouraging to those who are facing that, that, that persecution to hear, for them to see that we're doing that. But also, um, it, it leaves resources spare for those that need them more. A good illustration of this again comes from World War II, um, where you know we all know that that war wasn't just won by those who were fighting at the front line. It was it was won by nations coming together, um, the, those at home living under rationing, um, making do and mending, um, doing everything that they could, embracing simplicity to be part of the effort. And we've all seen the kind of um, images and posters of this kind of stuff. There'll be some coming up on the screen. During the Second World War, it would have been, you know, totally inappropriate for everybody at home to have continued to live a life of comfort and luxury whilst others fought the battle elsewhere. And so that was the nation's way of showing that they were were behind them. And it was also a practical way of saving resources um, so they can be dedicated to where they were needed most. And so this has practical implications for us, if, if, if you'd call yourself a follower of Jesus um, and you wish to serve him as a soldier, are you willing to, to feel uncomfortable about being comfortable? Um, and if so, maybe there is um, an aspect of soldier-like simplicity that he's calling you to embrace at the moment. What surplus in our lives could be made available for others? You know, for example... Perhaps it's that new car brochure or that holiday brochure that we've been looking at a lot of time recently. Maybe um, it's making a difficult decision to kind of to lay that down this time and instead to support a charity that God's drawing us towards. Or maybe, you know, it's that, that, that big next house move that you've got planned or that extension and it's going to be great. You're going to get the home of your dreams and everything's going to be amazing, but maybe it's going to commit everything that you've got financially and it's not going to leave any margin for you to have any flexibility to be generous in your life. Maybe it's, um, it's what you eat, and maybe God's calling you this morning to, to fast regularly, to focus on praying for those around the world who, who need that prayer support. Um, a really good practical example of someone I know who I think really tries to live this out is this guy who's part of this church family, um, and he works for um, a charity called Medair, leading a project that aims to provide emergency water and sanitation relief uh, for for people in South Sudan. Um, And this job requires that he embraces a simple lifestyle. Um, He he lives in communal accommodation with the rest of the project team. Um, He describes it as as like living in a massive student house, that's how bad it is. Um, And they've got a curfew and stuff like that. So he has embraced a simple lifestyle to show solidarity with others around the world who need, who are suffering. Um, But what's more, one of the things that really strikes me is that he also uses some of the surplus that that simple lifestyle affords him to show solidarity with brothers and sisters in his church family. So, for example, the other day I was with some friends and we didn't mean, we weren't planning to talk about him or anything like that. We just kind of stumbled across the fact that between a few of us that were there, this guy had um, quite quietly, without making any kind of like fuss about it, he'd supported one family by paying for them to go on holiday. Um, he had spontaneously gifted somebody else who was there with um, a tank of petrol when they stopped at the garage the other day. And also, while he's been working out of the country, he's, he's given his house to a, a newly married couple um, to live in rent-free for over a year. You're probably thinking, who's this guy? I need to know him. He sounds great. But I find that um, massively inspiring, but also massively challenging. And, um, you know, as we're kind of coming towards the end of this today, as much as this is challenging, if this has been hard to hear this morning, the one thing that I really want you to, to, to know is that I really am not trying to judge anybody's lifestyle in any way today, partly because if I did that, I know I would be a hypocrite um, because the reality is I'm still figuring this stuff out myself. And I'm aware that I don't have a huge amount even of credibility concerning these kind of issues. Um, I'm not like a missionary type. I don't have a background of fighting these kind of battles. And I really did deliberate over whether I could share this today. But the conclusion that I've come to is that my any lack of credibility that i have is it should not be a hindrance to god's clarity on this topic and really all i'm trying to do is just bring these words to you from the bible today in fact um, verse 7 if you read on a little bit it encourages us to just embrace it in those terms it says um, think over what i say for the lord will give you understanding in everything so that's what I'd encourage you to do, just, just read it. Um, my guess is that if we each decide that we want to, to live these verses out in our lives, it will look a little bit different for each of us. There will be different ways of serving and showing solidarity with those that need it. But one thing I think we all have in common is that you can't read these verses and decide that you don't need to act. They require something of us. And one thing I do also know is that as we look to engage in these battles of justice and compassion around the world is that the Bible assures us we don't go into battle alone. 1 John chapter 4 says, Little children, you're from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know, we know the outcome of this war. The Bible is clear that Jesus is the victor And one day he will come to establish justice and peace and abundance for all of his children. But in the meantime, the question that we're left with is, what kind of soldier do you want to be until that day? Because I think a bit like the option of the two sermons at the start, it seems we really do have two options in how we want to live this life. It seems that we do, in Nottingham in 2015, have the option if we want it to embrace a relatively op- easy option if we want, of keeping our head down whilst the war rages on around the world, of choosing not to kind of dedicate ourselves in service to others who need it more. We could choose a life that is as comfortable as possible, collecting stuff as we go through the days, having lots of fun and enjoying the peace and the abundance that we've been blessed with. And we could make our way to heaven at the end of that, sort of congratulating ourselves, being like, oh, well, that was pretty good on the whole. I I, I got out of any trouble, didn't have to face any hardship. That was, managed to stay out of harm's way. That is one option that we could try and live. But I believe we have the option to, to, to choose a second option that's a little bit more difficult, where we step forward as soldiers of Jesus in service and solidarity with those that need it most, and embrace simplicity, to make servant-hearted sacrifices, to leave resources spare for those that need them. And I don't know about you, but that is the life that I would rather try and live, where I could look forward to the day where Jesus could welcome me into heaven and say, here he comes, he, he really got involved, he really flew my banner, he fought my battles, he, he defended my children, Welcome home, soldier.